0: happen and Madison had me out and about all over the place and shopping and shopping and shopping and uh, I took her out to, um, as I knew she wanted to do some shopping so I took her to some outlet malls, so an outlet mall in America is like your, your normal malls and then there's the outlet malls, the outlet malls have all the stock that the malls used to have six months ago and is now half the price but who cares right, Like I don't care if I'm six months out of fashion. Uh, and uh, so I took her to this one down by the Mexico border. It's really crazy because you sitting there eating lunch and there is Tijuana. And, um, and I told her it was a big shopping mall and I think we got about a third through it. And she goes, oh, maybe we should have lunch now. And I said to well, her, honey, it's three o'clock. We've been shopping for five hours. <laughs> And you've done a third of the shopping mall. <laughs> Can we please go home now? Um, so, know we had some good times and great times. And uh, Pastor Jurgen and Leanne send their love to our church and they got such a great church here. If you, um, I, I put up some photos of the playground that they have in their South Campus on the CFC website. I'm praying and believing that we have a playground like that for our kids once we do all the renovations and everything. And just so you know, we've actually had the final information that we needed come through from uh, City Council. So we've basically got about three or four months now to put all our information together to get approval to do the daycare centre and new offices and cafe and playground. So, uh, yeah, awesome. It's only taken City Council 16 months, but you know what, in 10 years' time, we won't care, will we? And uh, so it's going to be really, really awesome. You know, I came back um, Thursday morning, arrived at 5.30 in the morning and um, managed to sleep a little bit on the plane and, and I didn't feel too bad. And then Friday came and it felt like I hit a brick wall and had to preach here on Friday night at Youth and managed to get through that. And then I was at home yesterday thinking, man, I've got to preach on Sunday. What am I going to talk about? And so this morning I bring to you a very scary message title called Random Thoughts. You are going to experience my brain this morning. And basically, it's just some random things, random thoughts, not even really linked, that God's been speaking to me about in the last probably couple of weeks uh, since our conference that we had here before I went to the States. And it's just some random kind of thoughts that God's been putting around in my head and I'm going to share those random thoughts with you today. Is that cool? All right. So let me start by saying this. There are more flowers in grave sites than there are on work desks because regret is stronger than gratitude. There are more flowers at grave sites than on work desks because our regrets are stronger than our gratitude. Isn't it funny how... What we tend to do in life is we tend to thank people after they've gone rather than while they're still here. We tend to respond more to regret than we do to gratitude. And the problem with that is that I see is that when we respond with regret after somebody's gone rather than while somebody's here in gratitude, people actually don't know that they're appreciated. And the thing is is this, is that you're not what you've done, you're actually what you've overcome. You are not what you've done in life, you're actually what you've overcome in life. And too often we wait until life is done before we celebrate what we've overcome. I'm preaching way better than you're responding. We so often wait until life is done before we celebrate what we've overcome. So many of us spend so much of our time upset about where we are, not understanding where we've come from. Sometimes with people, we do the same thing. We judge them for what they've done, not for what they've overcome. The Bible says this in Luke six thirty-seven: do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and will be and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. But Matthew 7, 2 says it this way. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. The Bible says this, that don't, if you don't judge others, then you won't be judged. If you don't condemn others, you won't be condemned. With the measure that you use on others is the measure that God uses on you. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I kind of think to myself, grace and mercy just needs to flow. Because I want grace and mercy to flow to my life. You see, but we live in a world where we're a little bit confused about judgment, and that's why I want to share this thought with you this morning, because we live in a world where we're a little bit confused about judgment, and we're taught that correction is judgment. If you correct somebody, stop judging me. Anybody had that? Have you had that with your kids? You correct them, and you're told, stop judging me. You see... Judgment is not correction and correction is not judgment. Judgment keeps you in your past and your present and locks you out of your future. Judgment keeps you in your past and your present and it locks you out of your future because judgment talks about what you have done. Judgment talks about where you have been and what you have done. Correction actually unlocks your future because correction gives direction. Judgment leaves you where you are. Are you with me this morning? And if and there's this one thing that God's spoken to me so strongly over the last three or four weeks, and it's not in my nature to do this, but if I am in Trinity along with me, if we are going to parent the church, if we're going to be your spiritual mums and dads, which the Bible says that we are, then we have to start bringing correction. But you have to understand this, that correction is not judgment. Correction actually provides direction because what correction does, it's like the voice behind you, as we've talked about hearing the voice of God, the voice behind you says turn to the left and turn to the right. Correction is actually a thing that gives you direction. Judgment will stop you in your past, judgment will stop you in your present, and it'll just talk about who you have been and what you have done, but correction always unlocks your future because it's directional, not judgmental. And if we're actually going to mature as Christians and we're actually going to grow in our walk, we have to get past this place where we stop getting offended with correction. Correction will always give you direction. Uh, The way you can tell if it's judgment is because it will pin you to your past. That's judgment. Anybody that says anything to you which pins you to your past is somebody who's judging you. Somebody who's correcting you will be directing you into your future. They're not linking you to your past, they're trying to bring you into your new day. We do that with our kids all the time, don't we? We spend our whole time as parents correcting and directing our kids. Not judging them, but directing them. Don't respond like that, we don't like that attitude, I don't like the way that you're talking to me. What you need to do in the future is if you talk to me this way, then I'll respond. But if you talk to me that way, I'm not going to respond well to you. What are we doing? We're directing them by correcting them. And in the church, we confuse correction with judgment. Judgment keeps you in the past and the present. But correction unlocks your future. Because it's directive in nature. Correction adjusts your direction, but judgment locks you into your past mistakes. How do I know that? Because here's something really cool that I 'm going to show you this morning. If you go to Luke 22, verse 31 to 32, and Jesus is talking to Peter, but he says this. He says, "Simon, Simon, hold on, is not his name Peter? He says, "Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail." And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Why is he calling them Simon, Simon? When earlier in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 to 18, Simon answered when Jesus was asking them, who do you say that I am? Simon answered, that's Peter, saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that from this day on, you are Peter. He's changed his name, hasn't he? And on this rock, I'll build my church. On the rock of Peter's revelation of who Christ was, he'll build his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So why Simon, Simon, when actually his name now is Peter? Why is he saying, Simon, Simon, the devil has desired to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that at the end of this you'd stand and strengthen your brothers because his name is Peter now, it's not Simon. Why? Because the devil can only judge you on your past because he comes to condemn and judge, which he links you to your past and your present. Therefore, the devil can only speak to him as Simon, Simon, because he doesn't have the ability to correct and direct. And that's why Jesus can call him Peter, but the enemy can only ever call him Simon. The enemy can only ever call you what you were. God will always call you what you're becoming. And so you can tell whether it's the enemy or not. Why? Because if it's Jesus, it won't be judgment. It'll be correction of your direction. Because if you judge people, you can't influence them. If I judge you, I can't influence you, I can't help you, I can't speak into your world in such a way that gives you a directional change. If you judge someone, you can't influence someone. And why is it so important that as the church, we don't judge, but we correct and give direction? Because when we, we need to be able to influence people. We need to have the ability to influence people. Why? Because God's answer to every problem is always a person. God's answer to every problem is always a person. And if we're judging people, then we will lock them into their past and their present. But if we can correct people to allow us to have influence, and we'll be able to direct them into our future. We had a problem. It was called sin. It separated us from God. It pulled us out of relationship. So God sent His Son, a person. Because a person is always the answer to a problem. You're an answer to a problem in your family, in your community, in your workplace, in your school. Wherever it is, you are the answer to the problem wherever you are. But the problem is if we judge people to lock them into their past and their present, but if we can correct you, if we can direct you or unlock your future, and you'll actually become the answer to the problem in your situation. Still preaching better than you're responding. This is why we have to be so careful about what we say to others, what we say about other people, but in, especially what we say about ourselves. Proverbs 6, verse 2 says this: it says, You have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. He's saying that what you are saying, what you are speaking out of your mouth, what you are saying about others and what you are saying about yourself has created a trap for you. It's ensnared you. It's locked you in. It it has caused you now to be the person that you are today. You can't break out of that trap and you can't break out of that ensnaring because you have created it by the words that you have said. What you have said has created the environment for your trap. Now here's the crazy thing. Caterpillars, I shared this with the youth on Friday night, caterpillars, when they mold their cocoons, when a cocoon happens, the, the stuff that makes the cocoon comes out of their mouth. It comes out of their mouth and it creates this cocoon and it creates an environment that the caterpillar is now inside and it allows the caterpillar to have a metamorphosis moment where it turns into a butterfly. You see, before the cocoon, the caterpillar is just cruising around on plants, eating leaves and in the dirt. But after the cocoon, after the metamorphosis, after the transformation, now the butterfly flies above its circumstances and the situations. It has a different perspective and here's the thing about it as well. It's never called a caterpillar ever again. It's now called a butterfly. But if you've seen a butterfly, it's just a caterpillar with wings. But it's what it has spoken out of its mouth. It's what it has sown out of its mouth has created the cocoon for the metamorphosis into being the butterfly. And this is why the Bible says out of your words, you have trapped yourself. Your words have ensnared you. Actually, what you say creates the cocoon for the metamorphosis that you want to take place. And some people are like, I don't know why my life never changes. I don't know why God never comes free for me because you've created a cocoon that doesn't metamorphose into a a butterfly, but actually just keeps you stuck, entrapped, in the cocoon, never accomplishing what God has planned for you. When we judge people, we lock them in. When we correct people, we break them out. Are you just helping you today? I know these are my random thoughts, welcome to my world. It's never ever called a caterpillar again. It's called a butterfly Why? Because there's always a build up before there's a breakthrough. There's always a cocoon before a transformation. You see, there's always something that God builds up before it breaks through. And what builds up really determines what comes out of your mouth. What you say matters, it creates the environment for the transformation. I need you to understand this morning that in Jesus... Jesus has covered it all. He's covered your past, your present, and your future sins. He's taken care of it all. I don't think we really understand how much Jesus has actually done. And I'm telling you this this morning because when you understand what he has actually done, I believe that you'll change the cocoon that you're creating for your transformation. You see, in the Old Testament, they had priests, and the priests were there that operated on behalf of God, and the people would come to the priests, and the priests would intervene between the people and God and, 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 and cry out on their behalf for their sin. They'll bring lambs, and, and, and those lambs will be pure, and they'll be sacrificed on behalf of people for their sins. But every year, you had to bring another lamb again. You know, there's this constant confessing of sin because the the lamb in 2017 wasn't enough to cover the sin of 2018 so you'd have to have a Another one, but the other problem of the priests was this, is that the priests weren't allowed to touch certain things because if they touched certain things, the priests would then be overwhelmed with that. The priests would then be defiled by that. So if the priests touched some of leprosy, and you have to understand that leprosy in the Bible is a type of sin. So when you read leprosy, you're really talking about sin. It's a typology, a type in shadow. Everything in the Bible has two meanings. And leprosy, when you read that in the Bible, it's talking about sin. And then if the priest touched someone with leprosy, it would make the priest unclean. The woman with the issue of blood, where she basically had her period for 12 years straight, if she had touched the priest, it would have made the priest unclean, would have defiled the priest. Anything dead, a person dead, if the priest touched that dead thing, the person they would become unclean. So therefore you never saw people getting raised from the dead. You never saw the leprous being healed. You never saw the woman of the Yeshua blood being healed by the priest because they couldn't touch her or them or whatever because it made them unclean. It was almost like the sacrifice was never enough that every year they had to bring another lamb and another lamb and another lamb because the sin was so great that it always defiled them. It always overcame them. It was never enough until Jesus. Jesus went around touching the lepers, touching the woman with the issue of blood, raising people from the dead, and it didn't defile him. This is why the scripture says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 56, and I love it in the message because it says this about Jesus' death has been swallowed up by triumphant life. You see, what used to overwhelm them, Jesus has now reversed and now he's overwhelming it. I don't think you understand this morning. Sin that used to overwhelm you, Jesus has reversed the curse and now Jesus overwhelms it. It's like Jesus goes along like a Pac Man, just every bit of sin, every bit of sickness. He's just eating it all up. He's like swallowing. I just get this big picture. Uh, Madison plays this game on her phone where there's this big round thing and she goes around swallowing buildings left and right and center. I don't know what game it's called, but that's the picture I get of Jesus is that before Jesus, sin always overwhelmed. Sin always overcame. Sin always defiled the priest. Sin always had to have another sacrifice. The sacrifice was never enough until Jesus, Jesus turned up and even before he died on the cross, he touched the lepers, he healed the blind, he set people who were dead, back to life again. Why? Because Jesus came to swallow up death in a triumphant life. And then it goes on, it says, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening and the law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, regrets, they're all gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God, thank God that he sent his son to die on the cross so that he would overwhelm sin, overwhelm death, overwhelm sickness, overwhelm divorce, overwhelm all those things that would overwhelm us. He swallowed them up in victory. Swallowed it all up, took it all, ate it all. Spat out the bones. That's what he's done for you. I don't think we really understand what it means when it says that, that before Christ, it was never enough. Sin always overwhelmed, but now Jesus reversed the curse. And instead of sin overwhelming us, he now overwhelms sin. And he swallows it up. And so therefore, when people start talking to you and judging you about what you've done, you can dismiss it because he swallowed that up in victory. Now we can live confidently knowing that when he brings correction, it's because he's directing us into a great future. We can live confidently knowing that as I speak these words about my life, I'm not just speaking words that sound nice, I'm not just trying to fake my way into a cocoon, but I can genuinely say, That death has been swallowed up in victory. Therefore, I have a future and a hope. Therefore, God has great plans for me. Therefore, my God is for me and not against me. Therefore, He can work all things together for good. Therefore, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And we start creating a cocoon with our words that allows us to metamorphose into the thing that God created us to be. No longer a caterpillar, but a butterfly that flies above circumstance and flies above the stuff that we were in our past. Why? Because Jesus overwhelms, overwhelms sin, swallows it up. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that Jesus overwhelms so that I'm not overwhelmed. You see, messages like what I'm doing require a stage or a platform or a pulpit. But the anointing always requires an altar or a sacrifice. See, the Bible says this, it's anointing that breaks the yoke. The yoke of what? The yoke of sin, the yoke of slavery, the yoke of death. And Jesus paid the ultimate price, the sacrifice to bring the anointing that overwhelms sin, that overwhelms death, that overwhelms all these things. You see, Jesus has complete and total authority complete and total authority. And this one thing I feel like God's been saying to me in my life, and I say this to you today, is you don't have a faith problem. I, I used to preach, and I'll probably say this, you, know, you just need more faith, you just need more faith. But the more I read about faith, the more I realize you don't need more faith. The Bible says if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can command this mountain to be thrown into the sea. Mustard seed is the smallest seed you'll ever find. It, it's not that faith is our problem, Faith is not your problem. Lack of faith is not your problem. You just have a wrong perspective of his authority. We have an authority issue when it comes to God. We believe in him. We believe that God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, but we don't fully tithe because we don't think he has the authority to open the windows of heaven. We believe he's a God that healeth thee, but we're not sure he has the authority over the cancer. We, we, we don't have a faith problem in the church. We have an authority perspective problem. We believe God can do what he says. We're just not sure he has the authority to do it. Well, how, how can you say that, Craig? Let me show you, shall I? Matthew 8, 23 to 27 says, Then he, Jesus, got into the boat with his disciples, and, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, and so the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. See, they believed he could save them. They had faith that Jesus could save them. Can I just say this? If Jesus is sleeping in a storm, it's a sign that you can sleep in it too. If he ain't worried, you don't need to be. Are you with me? The best thing the disciples could have done is go and get their pillows and lay down beside him. If he's not worried, you shouldn't be either. But they come to him and they say, Lord, Lord, save us. They woke him because they believed he could save them. They believed, they had faith that he could save them. And then he replied to them, oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And listen to this, and the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Listen, they marveled at his authority that even the winds and the waves obeyed him. They had faith that he could save them, but they marveled at his authority when it operated. Come on, that's like you and me. God, I know you can intervene here, and then we marvel when he does. See, we don't have a faith problem, we have authority perspective problem. They had the faith that he could save them, but they were blown away by his authority when he operated in it. Matthew 8, 5 to 13 says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve you, deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Listen what he says. For I am a man under, what? Authority, with soldiers under me. And I tell this one to go and he goes and that one come and he comes. And I say to the servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great Faith and Jesus said in verse 13, and Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed in that moment. You see, he didn't say, I have faith in you, he says, I too am a man under an authority. I can see your authority. I recognize the authority that you have. I recognize that you're not just rabbi teacher, but you're the son of God. I recognize that you have authority. And because I have authority and I tell this soldier to go and he goes and this one comes and he comes and this one do this, to do this, I know that you all have authority to just say, For my servant to be healed, you don't need to come to my house because I recognize your authority and I trust in your authority. And Jesus' response is, No such great faith have I seen in all of the lands. You see, God relates faith to your understanding of his authority. You don't need more faith, you need to change your perspective of his authority. Are you with me this morning? It's helping me, and this is my brain and how it works, and it's helping me over the last two weeks. I don't have to have more faith. I don't have to go and fast more, pray more, read my Bible more. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But if you're doing it because you're trying to shift God's hand, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Prayer, word, and fasting is about growing in relationship with Him. And when we grow in relationship with Him, we have a greater understanding of His authority. You don't need more faith, you just need a greater understanding of His authority. That's why when the offering bucket comes around, you have a level of faith because you put in 20 bucks but you don't actually understand his authority because if you did, you'd fully tithe because you'd understand that he said, if you look after my house, I'll look after your house and I'll rebuke the devourer on your behalf and I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour such a blessing upon you that you won't have enough room to contain it. He's not trying to rob you, he's trying to bless you, but you putting $20 in is robbing yourself. I know the doctors have said, that it's really bad news for you, but I'm trying to tell you something, that he has authority over cancer. He has authority over asthma. He has authority. And so sometimes we pray prayers like, I know I do this all the time. Oh God, I got a migraine. I really pray that you would come and I have faith and I know that your word says that by his stripes we're healed and I command my body to line up with God's word. Fingers crossed, hopefully this works. Come on. Instead of understanding, hold on a sec. He has authority over this. My word teaches me that he swallowed up death in his victory, that he took the keys of life and death, the authority out of the hand of the devil when he was raised again from the dead. He defeated it. He defeated sickness. He has the keys Keys speak of opening things up. He can open the door to my healing because he has the authority. And then the crazy thing is he turns around and says this, all authority I have, I now give to you. Not only do we need to get a re-understanding of his authority, we need a re-understanding of our authority. I don't need more faith, I just need to command the mountain to move. Come on. Some of us, we're pleading him instead of commanding things. You don't need more faith. You just need to understand his authority and your authority. We have an authority perception problem. We have faith. We just don't think sometimes he actually has the authority to do what he says. Matthew chapter 5 there's a story and I want to finish on this this morning and it's quite a long story. It's about Jairus and his daughter and about the woman with the issue of blood but I just want to pull a couple of things out of it that hopefully will help you understand but this story is a story about God's authority. It says this, that when Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and he saw Jesus and he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. you got to understand the fact that she was even in public, she risked being stoned to death. Because remember, everyone she touches is going to be unclean, defiled. Because she thought, if I can touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering, and that once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You can see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? In other words, you're saying, duh, everyone's touching you. Here's the thing. Lots of people rub up against Jesus, but not many people touch him. It says those who hunger and thirst shall be filled, not those who plead and hope like heck and cross their fingers. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear. And it's interesting that she fell at his feet, and Jairus, the synagogue teacher, fell at his feet. It doesn't matter what whether you're poor, rich or whatever, one day we're all going to end up at his feet. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole story. Can you imagine Jarius right now? It's like, Jesus, my daughter's dying, will you come to my house? He's like, yeah, and Jarius is leading Jesus. Crowd comes around, this woman touches him, Jesus stops. He's like, can you imagine... What's going on in his world right now? It's like, excuse me, I had him first? Um, You know, and now it says that she told him her whole story. I'm going to get myself in trouble here in a minute, but think about this, guys, just for a moment, males. She told him her whole story. Whole story. How many of you guys understand what I'm talking about here this morning? She told her whole story. J- Jairus is like, you know, just, just the simplified version. The, the poor guy right now is just like, Will you shut up? I'm trying to get Jesus to my house. You've hijacked my healing. And now you're telling the whole story. Can't you just catch up later for coffee? The whole story. 12 years worth the whole story. Not even just one day's worth of story. The whole story. And all the men understand what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, Jesus, he says, Thought your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your sufferings. He once again, it wasn't faith. She understood if I could just touch him. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus and the synagogue leader and said, Your daughter is dead. They said, Why bother the teacher now? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. And it's interesting how. Jairus was leading Jesus to his house but now it's Jesus leading Jairus. How often do we start out trying to lead Jesus where we need him to go and then the situation gets worse and we think that he's abandoned us where actually now he's like now can I do the leading? How often have we tried to lead Jesus where we think he should go And he has to wait until something gets worse so that we'll give up so that he can now lead us. Don't be afraid, just believe he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John and the brother of James. Isn't it interesting that he had 12 disciples but he only took three? You know, it's actually okay not to tell everybody what's going on in your world just to find some people that are close enough that you trust. When they came to the house of the synagogue leaders, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly and he he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. You have to understand that back in those days, they would actually hire professional mourners to come and cry and weep on your behalf. So when he said that she's not dead, she's just asleep, those professional mourners just oh, whatever, mate. (laughs) They laughed at him. Listen to this, and he put them all out. You know, some of you need to put some things out. You need to put some things out. you got some thinking in your world that's based on your past, that's that's judgments that people have made about you that tie you to your past. You need to put those thoughts out. You need to say, get out. Everyone say, get out. Wow, that was awesome. Everybody say, get out. There's some thoughts that you have that you need to tell, get out. There are some friends, well-meaning friends, but actually not helping friends, that you need to get out. There are some situations and some stuff that you're reading and some stuff that you're believing that you need to actually tell it to get out. Jesus cleared the house of all the people that weren't in the right frame of mind for what he was about to do. Some of us need to tell some things to get out. We let too many things in and don't push enough, enough things out. Why all this commotion, they laughed after he, after he put them all out. You know, sometimes you think God isn't moving in your world and like somehow he's mean to you, but he's waiting for you to put some things out. He's waiting for you to get some things out so that he can get in. After he put them all out, he took the child's mother and father and the disciples who were with him and went into the, where the child was, took her by a hand and said to her, Talitha koum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and then told him, give her something to eat. She's hungry. She was 12 years old. Let me, let me show you something here really, really quickly as we finish. The story is about Jesus' authority. The girl was 12 years old. The woman bled for 12 years. It's not disconnected. These stories are really connected. We could do a this is us kind of TV thing here and go back 12 years ago to where Jarius and the wife are walking out of the hospital with a brand new baby and in the background, there's a woman walking out who's just been told, there's nothing we can do for you. 12 Years old, 12 years bleeding, 12 is the, is the number of authority. It's the number of government. It speaks of authority. This is all about Jesus and his authority. The, the friends, so-called friends of Jairus come to him and they say, hey, your daughter is dead now. Why bother the teacher? See, they saw him as teacher. They didn't understand that he was Lord of lords. They didn't understand that he was king of kings. They had authority perception problem. And so Jesus says, get them all out because they don't understand my authority. They don't understand who I am. They don't understand that I am above everything. That my, at my name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They have a wrong understanding of who I am so they've got to get out so that I can get in with my authority and speak to the little girl who's dead and see her come back to life again because he understood in this moment this was about his authority, not about their faith. See, God's trying to establish his authority in your life. The unclean woman was overcome by the ultimate sacrifice that swallows up the unclean, the young girl was overcome by the ultimate sacrifice, the curse that gets reversed as is swallowed up death. Jesus has all authority and he has given us All authority and you don't need more faith, friend. You don't need more faith for your situation. You need to operate in your authority. You need to change your perception of his authority, speaking to and commanding mountains to move. That's not faith, that's authority. Faith is having the mustard seed. Authority is what you say. And you can create with your words the right cocooned environment so that you can metamorphose into the place that Jesus wants you to be. But it doesn't happen by trying to get more faith. It happens by understanding His authority. His authority. So when it comes to to some of the projects that we want to do here, the daycare center and all that stuff. Talking three, $4 million project, you hear that and you automatically go, how are we going to do that? Well, you got to understand, he's Jehovah Jireh. It's not just a nice name, it's who he is. He has the authority. I, I I'm not appealing in faith, I'm appealing to his authority. God, you have authority over the banks. You have authority over everything. Nobody gets into any kind of leadership anywhere in the world. That God, no, nobody's the boss that God doesn't allow to be in that place. So when an authority says no to me, I can appeal to his authority. Are you with me? You see, it's not a faith problem. It's an authority perception issue that we have because we don't understand that his sacrifice swallows up death. His sacrifice overwhelms sickness. His sacrifice overwhelms the unsaved. And what it requires of us is not to judge people on their past and their present, but in a loving way, correct people into the direction that God would have them. That we would speak words that create a cocoon environment and our lives and people's lives which enables them to metamorphose into something that flies above circumstances. Because it understands it doesn't need to live down there anymore because death's been swallowed up in victory. I really believe in this place this morning that God wants to do something in your world where there's just a shift in your head, a shift in your thinking, which is not, man, I need to, you know, because I don't know about you, but I do this. I'll be honest.